the competition brings awareness, awareness of a product. And it also creates awareness between the differences between products and people will make choices based on that. Welcome to the Durango Joe's podcast, where we believe everyone deserves a smile, a warm greeting, and a great cup of coffee. My name's Trevor Ogborn, and as usual, I have Joe Lloyd on the mic. Joe, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. You You're know, looking fresh, a little tan. Yep. One week from the Big Island. Um, I got back last Tuesday, and so I'm kind of just getting back into the swing of stuff. Well, it's good to have you back. Well, it's good to be back. A couple weeks before your trip, I think we found out about some pretty interesting news, and I'd like you to share that with our audience, because it's a big topic we're concerned with and just interested in at the moment, and it's going to be one of the big talking points today on our podcast. Yeah, and I think it'll be one of the big talking points, you know, in our little community we call Durango, Colorado. Oh, no doubt. Yeah, about three or four weeks ago, we found out that this other coffee company was moving in next to one of our busiest locations. Which coffee company was that, Joe? It's called Duncan. They um, announced that they're coming in. And so, of course, you know, competition, I've always said, is the best thing for our company. And we've always, you know, when Starbucks has come into one of our grocery stores or I think in 2016, they, they added one more location in Durango. And, you know, it didn't hurt our business much, but they weren't right next door either in this instance, uh, we're having to look at exactly what we're doing and making sure we're putting our best foot forward and doing the best job we can in order to retain all of our customers. Yeah, absolutely. I think along this way, we've, we've got a lot of other peer coffee companies out there that have been through similar situations. So one of our goals is to, to talk to some people who have been through that in their own ways and just kind of figure out what, what you can do when you're faced with uh, basically the big dogs coming in and moving in almost right next door in our case. And so how do you compete to do this? Today, we've brought on Mr. Wes from Woods Coffee. Now, Woods Coffee, if I were to describe it, is almost like you merged an REI and a coffee company together. They're this super outdoorsy, just beautiful, well-branded coffee company that's just steeped in the outdoor kind of vibe and energy. And so Wes, it's a, it's a pleasure to have you on today. Did I get that about right? REI and uh, a coffee shop combined? Yeah, I think that's accurate. Uh, you know, it's almost like we belong in Durango or something. Yeah. Well, oof. <laughs> well, not really, but yes. Yeah. We would love to, you know, yeah, keep you in Bellingham, Washington. That'd be great. Well, and you you guys have grown to something like 19 locations. So you guys are, are definitely a force to be reckoned with up there in the Pacific Northwest. You've done quite a bit. Tell me a little bit about Woods Coffee. What What's the idea behind it? Give our listeners an introduction to Woods. Well, it was uh, born out of a, uh, a homeschool project where we were homeschooling our our four teenagers at the time and decided to teach them how to write a business plan around this idea of a coffee shop. So that was uh, uh, just uh, close to 20 years ago. And it was a lot of planning and decision-making and involvement from them. Uh, then we decided, you know what, we could probably go execute this. And we did. And 20 years later, we're still all uh, working together. And it's uh, been a, uh, a learning experience uh, all the way along. So, Wes, you did mention that, you know, you started this as a homeschool project. So give us a little background. I mean, about you said everyone's still together. So what does that mean? Tell us about the kids. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, of the four te uh, teenagers that uh, we were teaching at the time, uh, all four of them are married now. Uh, we have eight grandchildren. Uh, 
I, it's kind of coming next generation because our oldest grandson, who's 14, is now working in the warehouse. So, you know, it's like, wow, lots happened over the last uh, number of years. The structure of our company at current, and we're kind of beginning that uh, transition process, is that uh, my daughter, Kelly, our second daughter, is the president of the company. My oldest son is the COO of the company. And then I have uh, uh, our oldest daughter, who's the office manager. The only one that's not involved is my youngest son. And uh, he has a successful uh, construction career doing other things. And that's okay with us. We still uh, involve him as much as we can. That's awesome. So how valuable do you think that entrepreneurial education? Because I think that's something I probably missed out on growing up is I learned, you know, all these basic skills, your science, your math, your all that stuff. But entrepreneurism is something that having just stepped into this world myself, I am faced with this massive learning curve. So tell me a little bit about how valuable you feel that was for your kids growing up. Yeah, I think it's super valuable. Uh, a lot of that is uh, just intrinsically caught growing up in a house where, you know, you're faced with money challenges and uh, employment uh, challenges and, you know, all the things that go on around that. And so they've kind of uh, learned and listened um, and merged, you know, those things that they learned uh, all the way along. The entrepreneurial process of uh, teaching at home, I think, has some great values as well, because none of our kids ended up having any college debt to uh, strangle them for the number of years, you know, into their working career, which you and I and all three of us uh, realize happens uh, quite often. You know, and if you study those people that have, uh, have college debt and you ask them, you know, are you working in the field that you studied to do? That's not often the case. So it's a lot of wasted money. And I guess that's another entrepreneurial thing is looking for ways to uh, stretch every dollar, find different ways to do things that uh, don't cost money. <laughs> Fair enough. So looking back at the kind of starting impetus of Woods, did you guys go into it planning to scale to the size you are today and this kind of trajectory of further growth, I'm sure, down the road? Or were you guys really looking at it as this is a... a let's just have this one coffee shop, let's start there. Or did you start with that growth and that scale in mind at a certain point? You know, Trevor, that's a really good question. And I think this speaks to the idea that everybody who's going to go into business needs to have a real good business plan. And that plan is not always to scale to, you know, certain sizes and grow in certain ways, because there's certain businesses that uh, exist that do just fine with one location whatever that business might be. And uh, Joe is shaking his head because we both realized, you know, one location would be pretty nice. You know, it's <laughs> a lot more, a lot more challenges ahead when we get uh, into multiple locations. Our business plan happened to be written with multiple locations in mind. It wasn't like we were said, hey, let's try one, see if it works. And if it works, then we can expand from there. So six months after we opened our first store, we opened our second store. And the idea was that we were going to continue on that growth trajectory. At different points, we had different ideas of what that would look like. In fact, at one point, we built six stores in an 18-month period. And uh, that you know, was really hard on the company because we weren't prepared with the infrastructure to be able to manage that. But in the end, uh, I get that question quite often from entrepreneurs that come to me and say, hey, I want to expand. I want to go this and that. And I say, well, you know, think about what the ramifications are of that. And is that part of your plan? Because uh, without a carefully executed plan, you may trip up on store number two or store number three and uh, end up with nothing. 
So uh, it's been a big part of our strategy and our uh, initial business plan was to grow, you know, beyond where we are today. And, you know, we've had a little bit of slow up here in the last year and now we're, you know, ready to go and and uh, we're starting to sign LOIs and leases and, and get going with the next growth. Well, I usually hear that it takes sometimes between like a year if you're lucky, but multiple years, three or more years to turn a coffee shop or a brick and mortar shop and make it profitable. So hearing that you were able to open a second shop in six months tells me either you guys really made it big or there was something else going on strategy wise. Tell me about the decision to open up a second store within six months of your first one. And was it because you were just wildly successful with the first or where did that come from? Yeah, I'd like to say that uh, we just crushed it and we were making so much money that we just had to do something with the money to avoid the tax consequences. Uh, But that wasn't necessarily the case. Uh, It was more like uh, fake it till you make it. And uh, we were, you know, realizing that uh, if we could expand, in fact, the really funny part about this was we were in a town of 6,000 people. So, you know, it's, uh, we can relate to each other's stories, Durango Joe's, Woods Coffee, you know, we're in small markets and ours was a, a subcategory of a small market. So 6,000 people and uh, we put three stores in that town before we actually went outside of that town. So we were trying to prove this model that uh, we could actually dominate a an area by putting in multiple stores. So in this case, 6,000 people, three stores, and there was already a couple of other coffee shops there. So the idea of you know making enough money to go to the next one, that wasn't necessarily our strategy. We were prepared with investment to go to two stores and three stores or whatever it took till we got profitable. In the end, both those first two stores became profitable at the year, at about the year mark. So one year in, we were making money, it wasn't like we we're, you know, raking it in. It was like, you know, we were, it was trickling in and slowly growing. So then that's what you want. You want steady growth in, in a new business. If you, if you're stagnant and you can't seem to make ends meet, that's when you uh, have to really look carefully at that and say, you know what, maybe we should stop beating our heads against the wall and pull the plug before uh, we lose all our money. So from the, that initial two store, three store start now looking at 19 and growing, What has been one of the biggest evolutions or changes you've seen in the organization as it's grown there? I mean, you guys went through a a major rebrand at one point, but tell me a little bit about that evolution and how that happened. Well, I think the the key to our our growth and uh, the one thing that caused us to eliminate a lot of headaches was to really grow vertically. And so when we were talking about, you know, the various stages of our business and what we were doing, we realized that uh, we need to add our own bakery, but we would have to do our own roasting. These were things we were not doing. We were buying from others. And, and uh, it was we need to be our own distributor. And then we actually took on all our milk di- distribution as well. So really, we're about as vertically integrated as you could find a company our size. Uh, there's no one that delivers anything to our stores except for us. Everything that is uh, needed for a store, we deliver. So if there's ever a question about, you know, well, where did this come from or where, why is this here? We can look no further than ourselves and solve the problem. Whereas if you have multiple vendors, uh, you know, you know what that's like and you understand that, you know, there are pitfalls and things that uh, happen. We just wanted ultimate control so that uh, we could, you know, tr- uh, have our growth trajectory the way we wanted it to. 
really the bakery was one of the most significant things that uh, we added into the mix because that gave us the opportunity now to control not only the quality of the product, but control the flow of the product and not waste as much. So that's been a huge benefit for us and uh, has become a really significant profit center as food in the coffee industry continues to grow. In a moment, we'll talk to Wes more about his experience scaling Woods Coffee and the approach they've taken when the competition rolls in right across the street. Before we dive into that part of the conversation, I want to ask, have you subscribed to At The End Of The Day? We recently separated our short-form podcast into its own show. These quicker five-minute episodes will continue coming out every other Friday, so don't miss out and subscribe on all of your favorite platforms. Just search for At The End Of The Day with Joe Lloyd or follow the link in the show notes. Now back to our conversation with Wes. So in all this time that you've scaled, you've been around long enough to really see on both ends, I think, having other larger coffee shops come in to your quote unquote turf and kind of upset maybe your market a little bit. And then on the flip side, you're now big enough that you're probably doing that elsewhere. So with our, uh, our situation, looking at Duncan coming into our area, we'd love to talk to you about your experience with that. And you're, you're in the Pacific Northwest. So that's specifically why I think you're such an interesting person to talk to because you're in the coffee capital of the world. There's a lot going on in that area. So tell me in which cases have you had someone like a Starbucks come into your area and how worried were you at the time with that? You know, I think early on, that's a challenge, right? You know, we we considered it a very complimentary situation when a Starbucks would open up near one of our locations. And I remember vividly the first one that had happened was uh, right across the street from our store number two. And it was a significant change for us. And it was one of those things that uh, we wondered what is going to happen. The benefit is that everybody loves coffee and it's hard to say how that all works and why you can put multiple stores near each other and they all seem to flourish. And in this case, it goes back to the concept where you'll see a Home Depot and the Lowe's next to each other. You see a Rite Aid and the Walgreens next to each other and the various parts of the country. You know, you'll see brands that uh, do that because the competition brings awareness, awareness of a product. And it also creates awareness between the differences between products and people will make choices based on that. One of the things that we have been really challenged with in our small little county that we started in, and uh, we operate now in four different counties, but the original county that we were in, uh, Starbucks over the last few years has built five new stores. And those are directly, you know, hits against us. And I don't think that there's that many places in the United States where they have done that type of concentration in a small market like ours. So they're obviously uh, concerned and rightfully so. So we're we're happy to take that on. And uh, we view that as a badge of honor that somebody would move in next to us and, uh, and, and figure out that, you know, they want to compete directly head to head with us. I can go on and tell you a little bit about how they, the sales typically happen. And we have enough experience now where it's happened probably a half a dozen times or more where we get a Starbucks moving in next to us. We have never had another major competitor. It's only always Starbucks. So uh, when they move in next to us, it typically happens where we see about a 10% hit and then it just slowly gets back to normal over about a six month period. 
Okay. And from there, we're back up to our regular growth trajectory. Yeah, that was one of my questions is going to ask, you know, what kind of hit you guys would take. And that sounds, you know, about right, especially if you have a good brand, you have good coffee, you have good service, you're operating in a way that you've already established yourself as a, a legit coffee company. And so, I mean, that's what we're kind of thinking, you know, Duncan's coming in and Duncan is, I think, and you may have a different take on this, Wes, I don't know, but they're, they're a different animal than Starbucks, I think in some ways. What's your take on that? I mean, you've, you've watched these brands grow, this East Coast brand right. come in and really make a presence in, in the West. Yeah, it's interesting. We don't see them out here uh, like uh, we're seeing them, you know, in different places in the United States. I consult with a few other coffee companies that see them coming into their markets as well. I think that back to your point, Trevor, earlier that, you know, we're in a, a hotbed of coffee here, you know, from Starbucks to, you know, other brands like ourselves and uh, a few others. You know, it's deep and it's hard to compete when you're a brand that comes in that looks and feels like a Duncan does. And I think that could be a differentiator. You know, what, how do you feel? How do you, you know, look to the average person and what are they looking for? And if it feels, you know, odd or different, you know, that could work to their advantage or it may not, depending on how strong your brand is. Yeah. Our badge of honor in the last 12 months here in Durango's, they actually closed a Starbucks downtown, which was kind of a fixture downtown. It's, it was. Yeah. It really was. And so for them to close that store, it was quite surprising. But, you know, it's it's one of those things, I think, as you said, you know, coffee's just going to continue to grow and we just have to evolve as coffee grows. You know, people get more sophisticated, you know, in their coffee, you know, habits and their drinking and what they want. It's become pretty obvious that you, you can't just hang out there and just serve coffee. You, you've got to stay on top of things. How did you handle or what did you do marketing wise or did you do anything marketing wise that was different when a Starbucks came across the street? There, there are a number of things and we've chosen not to do many of them. In fact, uh, we, we, we had some wild ideas, including we wanted to uh, put up a big banner on the front of our store that says, at least we didn't sell the Sonics you know, which was a big thing here in the Northwest where Howard Schultz had sold the Sonics. And, and there are people that come to our stores regularly still after, I don't know how many years, 15 years since he sold the Sonics. And uh, they come in and say, you know, I've never stepped foot into a Starbucks since they sold the Sonics. And, uh, you know, so that was a big deal. So we thought, oh, okay, this is going to be just a super idea. And that came from our, our CFO, Joe, you know, Colin. Yep. And uh, Colin had this, you know, this idea and man, he was hanging his hat on it. And uh, in the end, we did not do that. And uh, uh, most of the times, uh, anytime that we have entered into this situation, we have done nothing. We did not want to look like we were pandering and or trying to, you know, answer something that was really a negative or potential negative against us. So we just took the high road and decided, you know what, we're just going to keep doing what we're doing. And uh, hopefully people will bleed off from, you know, the Starbucks brand because we're across the street. It's uh, worked out well. And uh, I, we don't really uh, uh, shy away from that competition. So you think my idea of having our bakery make donuts and give them away for the for two months is not a good idea. <laughs> I, I like the idea. You know, right. if I was a customer, this goes back to a very much larger marketing strategy. And that is how much do you have to give away? And is that a perpetual downhill 
slope that you can't ever recover from. Totally. And uh, we've we've chosen never to discount and or you know give stuff away. We will do uh, some events occasionally where we'll do something special, uh, customer appreciation or something where we do things that are special for the guest, but. You know, overall, we don't really want to get onto that slippery slope and have to continually coming up with the next new offer. Because customers really quickly, unbeknownst to themselves, become super entitled, you know, and they they demand the next thing that's for free or half off. And then you're stuck, you know, again, like you said, in that hamster wheel trying to figure it out. Well, okay, to keep these customers happy or to keep them coming to your business. So I think you're you're spot on on that. Yeah, that's good. So intentionally, it sounds like you are very much playing it cool in these moments and like, okay, we're, we're cool. They're not bothering us. So you're projecting that image internally. Are you guys doing anything in terms of competitive analysis? Is there anything that you guys are doing in terms of looking at their pricing models or things like that? Because that's something we've talked about doing and have done in the past when we've done menu updates and things like that is we take a look at what everyone else in town is doing. Is there anything you can speak to on that front internally that you guys prepare for? Yeah, it's a good question. In fact, we have uh, uh, just been doing a deep dive on that because uh, typically in the past, Starbucks has always announced price changes and they have uh, done things that uh, would, you know, indicate why and how and, you know, what things were effective or affected. And in the, in the last few weeks, at least in our markets, we have seen that they have changed a number of things that uh, are price increases. Uh, but they're more price manipulation. And so it's it's modifying certain drinks now that uh, used to cost $4, now cost $5.50. And, you know, things like that, that the average consumer just, you know, maybe doesn't pay attention to and or doesn't notice. And I think it's an interesting way that they have uh, done that. Uh, but back to your question specifically, we don't try to look too much at their pricing. I wouldn't say that we don't. We, we're aware of their pricing. And in some cases, we're actually priced higher on uh, certain products, and it doesn't seem to affect uh, whether people buy those or not. And this really goes back to the question of, you know, how sensitive are people to price? And is that, you know, the ruling factor in, in what you're doing? I think there's a huge opportunity for people like Durango Joe's, Woods Coffee, and the smaller guys that we are the local option. And we're the people that, you know, live in the community. We're the people that are recognized in town. We're the people that, uh, you know, do things that uh, benefit the schools and all the other aspects of this. So uh, it's more about playing into those parts of what are normal life, as opposed to, you know, striking a pose as another corporate competitor and trying to, you know, duke it out, you know, fist to fist against uh, the big boys, because guess who loses? It's, uh, you know, we're not going to win that fight. They've got a little bit more money than we do. That's what I've heard. (laughs) Yeah, right. So you at 19 locations are definitely in, I would call the upper percentile of coffee companies, but you're certainly much smaller than a Starbucks or a Dunkin' or anything like that. So speaking from the small business owner standpoint, you're saying having that local connection, being kind of a, a fixture locally is an advantage. What other advantages can you point to that small business owners have over 
these larger, well-resourced companies? You know, we, we, we can't uh, necessarily uh, count on that corporate uh, initiative and strategy that, uh, that others can do. So we're more grassroots, right? We, we uh, get our teams built up around, you know, being the little guy. We got to overcome and, you know, come on, let's do this thing together. You know, and so I think that we have an advantage because we appeal to uh, a wider demographic of, of uh, employees Whereas, uh, you know, it feels very cookie cutter in a Starbucks, you know, as I travel and I'm in a Starbucks, I'm, I'm always confused as to, you know, why people would go there versus, you know, come to, you know, a Durango Joe's or a Woods Coffee. I think the, the advantage we have is really in that personal attention. And, you know, we don't have the necessarily canned buzzwords that, you know, you could see and hear in some of these bigger corporate settings. But, uh, you know, we're, we're real, we're authentic, you know, we, we care about people, and we uh, go about doing that on a daily basis. And I think that is in the end, what wins and makes a difference. Now, from the flip side, at the size you are, you definitely are the big dog compared to some of these little single shop mom pop coffee shops. From that standpoint, moving into a new market or a new city, what do you as the the larger company coming in and maybe moving in next door to that really local small fixture, what do you guys do in terms of preparing for that so that we can understand maybe that other flip side of the conversation? That's a, that's a really interesting perspective, Trevor. I like, I like uh, your thinking and the way you've posed that because yes, that is the case, right? We, we get to this place now in business where when we open a store, just like you guys, we have to hit a certain number, right? We've, we based all of our math on that, you know, and, and competition that is uh, in the area that could have been the local choice for many years is also a factor. And so I think I can point to one of our more recent stores, which was a uh, location in a town called Bothell, Washington. Bothell is a, uh, a community that uh, is outside of Seattle and is more of a bedroom community. So uh, people who live there are typically working for a Amazon, you know, Microsoft and, uh, you know, many of the others that uh, dominate the Pacific Northwest. And so uh, upwardly mobile, but, you know, definitely there is a strong emphasis on buying local in the Northwest as it is probably in your community. And so uh, when we when we went into this town, we had a couple of competitors nearby and uh, within just a few months, uh, one of them, uh, two of them actually exited the market. That particular store just took off like, you know, wildfire. And I think that uh, we're now, and with close enough proximity, 100 miles is the distance between all of our stores, that there's enough people that talk about woods and understand it, go to social media, see what we're about. So we have an, you know, an automatic entree into certain neighborhoods and communities. So that worked really well for us. But yeah, some of those younger, smaller competitors that can't you know, keep up with us, especially when it comes to the uh, food side. Food side now, you know, representing up to 25, 30, 35% of a coffee shop's business, it needs to be on point. And ours is all fresh from scratch every single day. I know the competitors can't keep up with that. And you know this journey we've been on, Wes. You and I have talked over and over and over again over the years about the the things that, you know, we can be doing better or things that, you know, we need to do. And one of them, you know, I heard from you long ago was you need to get your own bakery 
And I think that for us was the smartest move we made as we grow vertically was the bakery. And because right now your point on, we're at 23% of our sales are food. And that's up, I mean, from three years ago, that's quadruple. And it's because we've got our own products now and we are in control of what we deliver to our stores every day that's fresh, that's, you know, being made from our bakery and kitchen. So that's, that's a, you know, as far as staying up with competition, that, that's a big one right there. That's part of, you know, your vertical integration in making sure you're having everything in house. Yep. For sure. Well, another piece of, of moving into these other towns and coming up with a new location, you go in and there's enough brand recognition that you're coming in and they, they recognize you and they trust you and they kind of take you into their community as a fixture of their community as well at that point. And I know you guys really have leaned into this kind of lifestyle brand of Woods. So talk to me a little bit about the strategy of the, the brand and how a lifestyle brand works in that capacity. Well, in the Pacific Northwest, uh, like it is in many other communities, but you know, it's kind of hubbed and started here. You know, this is a part of a daily culture. And the idea that uh, we stop and go to a coffee shop, you know, once or twice and sometimes three times a day is not a foreign thing. And so it's part of everyone's lifestyle. We have uh, chosen this outdoor you know, kind of theme, you know, it could fit and play in Durango just as easily as it does here in Bellingham. You know, we, we see a lot of bikes here, road bikes, mountain bikes, all that kind of stuff. But I know nothing compared to what you guys have there, which is, you know, like off the hook. But uh, yeah, we have, you know, a lot of those uh, characteristics of mountains and skiing and all the aspects that uh, we try to involve ourselves in people's lives. So as people are living whatever lifestyle that is, we just want to come along and be a part of that journey. And so that's been a big emphasis. I would really put that on uh, Ryan, my son-in-law, who is head of marketing, and he's done a, an amazing job of how he, you know, has the voice of what we talk like, what we, you know, look like, and uh, it's authentic because it's really our DNA, it's our culture, it's who we are. And so from day one, when we started this company, and we believe that if we enjoy these certain aspects in our lives, there's probably a fair percentage of people that will also enjoy those. And so that's what we just go do. We go do what we like to do and uh, people come along and do the same. I wonder, so how intentional has that been throughout the years? Because you do look at a, a Starbucks and at their size, they kind of have to appeal to the absolute everyone. So it winds up coming off to me at least rather flavorless in a sense. And you guys have that really rich kind of flavor to your brand with that outdoor. So how intentional was that? And did it have the intended consequences you guys were aiming for if it was that intentional? Yeah, it was extremely intentional. It was all about the adventure, right? And what, what everybody wants to go on an adventure. And, uh, you know, if we can make coffee a part of that adventure, then, you know, that's, then we all win, right? And so the idea was that uh, we would portray what that adventure looks like. And so as you're sitting in a drive-through and you're conjuring up, you know, what 
the brand is like and you know it kind of takes you away from your normal routine of the day and enters you into a, a place where you know we've kind of crafted it and wanting to urge you and move you into that direction uh, and then it just becomes fulfilling when you've got that warm drink or cold or iced drink that you enjoy and uh, it's a part of that so yes very intentional and definitely uh, you're you're right on to be able to notice that and recognize you know what we're doing with that so of everything we talked about today what would be your biggest key takeaway to other small businesses and I mean we're all talking coffee so maybe specifically the coffee business but in general what's the one thing that that coffee shops can do in order to stay afloat stay alive and continue to thrive in the face of these larger uh, conglomerates coming in so hey Wes before you answer <laughs> before you answer, just pretend you and I are talking all right and you're giving me advice all right <laughs> he needs this personalized to him I guess <laughs> it's really hard to say that I could give you advice Joe I mean you guys have done extremely well I love Durango Joe's it's uh, always a pleasure uh, to see what you guys are doing and you know it's it's fun to have people in the coffee community that you can rely on and joe and i have built a friendship over many years that uh, allows us to talk about the things that uh, are concerning us and the things that uh, we want to achieve in coffee and little tweaks and twists and so on and so forth you know what's the one thing that you could share with people that uh, will help them in their journey you know i think that uh, uh, one of the most important things you can do if you've got a front-facing business and you face the consumer that comes to your business whether it's in a drive-thru or inside of a store it's keep your place clean and uh, you know that's like there is uh, so much to be said for uh, some of those things because we all get used to what a place looks like every single day but you have to come in with a critical eye and make sure that you're making your place look as good as it possibly can on a daily basis. Uh, I would say if Joe and I were talking, which we are, we would say to each other, like, oh, come on, you know, why do people miss this stuff? You know, like how many times do you walk into a store, Joe, and you pick out three or four things that, you know, could have been fixed or done and, and it's frustrating, right? But in the end, you know, we, we all do our best. We try to uh, serve the guest uh, and that's our focus really take care of the guest. And if we're taking care of the guest, then most of this other stuff probably takes care of itself in one way or another. As a business owner, I think the one key thing is to know exactly what your plan is and what you want to do and what you want to achieve. And then you go execute that without ever hesitating and stay on that plan without deviation because uh, uh, that's where you win. Well, awesome, Wes. It's been such a pleasure talking to you today. Thank you for spending a little time with us and sharing your wisdom. Yeah, it's been great really to touch base with you again, Wes, and to hear about the, the stuff that you guys are doing. And Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Durango Joe's podcast. If you haven't already, you can subscribe to the Durango Joe's podcast anywhere you'd like to listen, and you can follow us on Facebook so you don't miss another episode. Just put Durango Joe's podcast into the search bar. The Durango Joe's podcast is published by Durango Joe's Coffee. It's hosted by Joe Lloyd and Trevor Ogborn. That's me. I write, edit, and produce these episodes through my business, Brewed Up, which specializes in helping coffee businesses get clear on their brand, content strategy, and communications. You can find out more about that at the link in the show notes. Durango Joe's. Love people, love coffee.